those experiences, me having to come back to, you know, from New York and to Toronto again, and me not sort of knowing where I fit and taking such a different path, it really was the principles of improv that got me through that, that, that staying present, the idea of, you know, leaning into change instead of resisting it, you know, and if a mistake happens, something better can come out of it. You know, all of those lessons, I realized really had helped me in so much more than a scene in an improv class. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Lori Perlstein. Lori lives in Toronto, Canada, and is an improv artist who has found a way to integrate her artist self and her work life in a beautiful way. I appreciate how honest and accessible Lori is about her life and how much experience and insight she has meeting and dealing with fear and challenge. And to start, I really liked her words on her website, lpplayworks.com. So I'm going to read some of those as a way of giving us a little background on Lori. Um, before Playworks, I worked as an actor, stand-up comedian, writer, and casting director. What attracted me most to all those jobs was my fascination with human behavior and my need to truly connect with people. The one thing those jobs didn't offer me was a lot of stability. So I switched gears to focus on a more practical career. I took philosophy and psychology classes at Concordia University, then shifted my focus to business at Ryerson University, which led to an account executive position at Saatchi and Saatchi Advertising. But my passion for creative expression could not be ignored. And at 28, I decided to realize one of my remaining dreams. I removed to New York City, I trained with the best, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Uta Hagen, and Austin Pendleton. I wrote, starred, and produced a one-woman show. I had a hit weekly comedy show, and then my dream came to a screeching halt. I couldn't get my visa renewed. I moved back to Toronto, started over and again in 2011, and I decided to integrate. The driving force at the core of everything I'd done was my desire to evoke thought, authenticity, and courage and encourage growth in others. Playworks is the spawn of my passions, creative training, and formal education coming together. Welcome, Lori. Thank you so much. My gosh, there's so much we could talk about, but I'd like to start <laughs> with the most obvious question. And just as a context bringer, I'd like to hear a little bit about your path as an artist, kind of the trajectory I just, that was in your bio there, from your past as an artist, then to advertising, and then back to Toronto. And what I'm thinking is more of your current incarnation. Um, I'd love to just, if you could bring us through that a little bit. So to give us some <laughs> yes, perspective. Yes, that was the very it. abridged version. <laughs> 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 Lots of details and years left out of there, but I figured that was sort of, <laughs> I just picked the most important things to focus on. So, wow, where do I start? I mean, I guess I started acting when I was a kid. It was just a great outlet for me. I love to sing. I love to make up plays. And I was just a really outgoing kid. I had a great memory that led to getting an agent, um, you know, doing theater, commercials, you know, all the, all the stuff that I love to do. 
um, took improv classes again, just as another outlet. And I didn't realize until later in life that all of those rules that I learned in improv were actually, you know, rules for how to live a, a healthy and happy life, really. Um, so that's, that's, uh, I guess, that's the overall idea of what brought me to where I am now is sort of realizing that there were so many times when I would get anxious and was stuck in the past, was anxious about the future. And I just didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't able to see the value in just being present and appreciating what was going on in the here and now taking that time to smell the roses, as they say. How, you know, I'm curious about how big was that pull to get stability when you were 28? Because these forces are always working on us. And a lot of the people I work with are dealing with this all the time. They're 28 and they've got all kinds of uh, things that they think they're supposed to do. They're supposed to tend to the portfolio. They're supposed to have a five-year plan. They're supposed to, you know, have, be saving. They're supposed to be, you know, being, you know, top of their field, all this stuff. Right. And I'm just curious, how strong were those forces of stability when you were younger, when you were, when you, yeah, went into the advertising thing and, and tried the business thing a little bit? Well, when I tried the, the advertising in the business, it was because I, I realized that you know, I didn't want to be a waitress part-time for the rest of my life. You know, there were times where I would do a voiceover and get a really great paycheck. And then I wouldn't get a paycheck. And the anxiety of feeling like every one of those auditions I went on was like do or die just wasn't healthy for me. Uh, By the time I moved to New York, I decided that I had to throw out every ounce of fear of not having stability because that was the one thing I wanted to do since I was 18, move to New York, go to theater school, like live that. It was just this fantasy in my head of where I was meant to be. And when all my friends started getting married and having kids, I realized that I couldn't really pursue that next chapter of my life until I got this out of my system. So would you say, um, you quick, you kind of quickly dealt with those voices that were trying to, you know, give you that kind of guarantee in life. Like you dealt with them pretty quickly, or would you say it was much more of a breakdown than that? No, I think it was. I think it took a long time. I mean, till I was twenty eight. Who does that? That's you know, you move to New York and you know be, become a starving student when you're eighteen, maybe nineteen, maybe twenty. <laughs> I mean, I was almost thirty years old, and I was like screw it. I have to do this. So I think it was like being at the end of my rope and realizing that I was always going to wonder what could have been if I didn't do it. Were you aware of unhappiness also, or was it this press to do this, this call, this calling you had, or was there also, um, part of the breakdown there was, um, I wouldn't say unhappiness. I would say dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. I thought there was something bigger than the industry in Toronto. And, you know, they always, you know, they hired the people that they knew. Oh, well, she did a great job in this last one. We'll hire her again. I looked very young for my age. I didn't fit a specific type. You know, I wasn't leading lady. I wasn't, 
so charactery looking that I was perfect for quirky best friend. Like no one really know what to do with me. And then I kind of got dared into trying stand up. And then I realized that I can say and do whatever I want up here. This is so freeing. This is so amazing. And so all those things I loved and had practiced and knew that I was good at. I felt like I had to, even though New York is a much, you know, I, I, I always said I would rather be a bigger fish in a bigger, a smaller fish in a bigger pond than a bigger fish in a smaller pond. There's just more opportunity. And I wasn't intimidated by that. I just knew I needed more opportunity to get to where I ultimately wanted to be. I got it. You know, I say that about myself and that the big fish, small fish thing. And I think it's funny to hear you say that because it, you know, some people really don't want that. They want to yeah. be a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. And it's just a, a tie. It's just a, a flavor that I think we have as people, right? Okay. So you've gone to New York, you followed it, right? And you I got through the, all the forces that were keeping you in place, you went there and it sounds like things got going. I'm really curious about, you said, did you say in your bio it was a one woman show? Yeah, so basically, so I went to school, got the best training in the world, was right. like, it was such, I was, I literally was walking around the streets floating, thinking, I can't believe this is my life. And I remember my mom was a professional ballerina when she was younger. I was not so graceful. I'm her only daughter. And I <laughs> I just did, you know, I was never going to be able to be that, you know, that that graceful girl who pursued a career in ballet that would just have made my mother so proud. But funny enough, all these years later, one of the electives that you could take was, you know, a beginner ballet class. And I thought, okay, you know what? This is going to be good exercise. Um, the woman who taught it was in the original Broadway production of A Chorus Line. So I thought that was kind of funny. And you're just like there to take risks and just do things you wouldn't normally do. So I took a ballet class and there's a piano player and he's playing all Broadway show tunes to the exercises that we're doing in ballet class. And I heard one song from a play that I knew so well and the tears just started rolling down my face. And I just had this moment of, I can't believe this is my life. This is what, whatever the end result is, I've never been so happy in my life. So for all the fear and uncertainty, and I literally sold my car and everything I owned to go and make this dream happen, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how it was gonna end, but I certainly felt just a sense of, I, I, there's no word to describe it. It was just, literally overjoyed with every day and everything I experienced. God. And the, when you, I'm curious about, I guess I have this, um, I think one woman shows are just the best. Oh, uh, so right. I'm just curious. Sorry. So I went I'm off curious on about a tangent. Your experience with so, it. Yeah. I just so, think they're so cool. So interestingly enough, I, so the one thing that I would never say that I was good at, I, I I'm an ideas person, but even in stand-up, I didn't write set-up punchline kind of jokes. I was a storyteller. I had a unique perspective. And that's that's what I did in my stand-up. So now school is ending. You get a one-year work visa after you finish school. And then if you want to stay in the country longer, you have to find a job to then get another visa. And this was shortly after 9-11. A lot of the rules changed. Um, 
And I was getting a little bit worried that I was going to have to leave the country. And in my standup, I would talk about this was when um, online dating was new, like in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. so I would tell the stories of all my dates. And I, I mean, it, I, I was single and legitimately looking for a partner. But at the same time, it was also, okay, but I'm on a time crunch. We may have to move up the marriage because I need to be able to stay in the country. So it kind of just became this running thing where like every week in my standup, I would tell the stories of the dates that I went on and talk about the urgency and the clock ticking until my visa was going to expire. And then, you know, you hear those stories, the, what's her name who wrote my big fat Greek wedding? I can't Mm -hmm. remember what her name is. Oh, I'm not going to get it, but I know the story. Yeah. Uh, Nia Savara. No, I'm, I'm mixing up two actors. Anyway, I have a perfect image in my head. Anyway, somebody will know who she is and be yelling when they're listening to this. Um, she did a one woman show about like coming from big Greek family and Rita Wilson went to see it. And like, there you go. The rest is history. It got made into a big movie, made millions of dollars. You know, in my head, Maybe if I told this story about the clock ticking and everything that led up to me finally getting here and what I had to do in order to be able to stay, I just kind of started writing. And then next thing I knew, I was like, okay, this is a sh- I need to like find a theater and I need mm. to perform this with that tiny little chance that the right person was going to come and see it. And that was going to be my way to stay in the country. And so I wrote it. One of my oldest friends who I, we went to camp together in Michigan when we were kids, we reconnected years later in New York. Uh, She was a brilliant actor, director. She directed it. I needed somebody who really knew me, got me. I mean, this was so vulnerable and scary for me to do. Again, I was not a writer. It was more Mm. like, but this is my story. So who's going to be able to tell it better than I am? And So I just like booked a theater and just did it. And I had my friends and family come as like a soft opening. And they were like, this is something like, this is actually, we would have come and supported you anyway. And they'd seen my stand-up shows, but they're like, this is like such a beautiful, inspiring story. And so I just kept doing it however many days a week as I could get the theater. And I ended up closing the show on the actual day that my visa expired. So I have slides that go up on the screen through the whole show, me at 10 years old. And it was all the countdown until my visa expired, starting when I was 10 years old and had that first dream of wanting to move to New York. And so the last slide on the last night is like your immigration card with your picture on it. And it says uh, entry, you know, until and the date. And so we just blew it up really big. And I, I leave the stage, everyone starts clapping. Then they kind of take in what's on the screen. And then backstage, you just heard the whole audience together, just inhale and go, and then they all went, oh, and everyone was crying after. And I was like, okay, so I move people and maybe it'll inspire them to just do that thing because you just never know and take that risk and you know and uh so yeah eventually I had to come home but um I literally tried everything and it obviously wasn't meant to be on some level right I still I'm still trying to figure out how it all makes sense that I'm back here but it just it you know how long ago was that how long ago was that uh, 2000 and 
six, maybe. You know, years are weird for me. There's just, and so that's okay. Gives me a sense. You're good. Yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, you've been doing what you've been doing and you, you know, obviously there's a big story in how you came into putting now your, you know, performance life into work. Right. What I'm, what I'm curious is, cause I know, um, what, what do you think we need to know about your business right now that would help us kind of get a sense of how you brought that person who was leaving New York into the business, um, that you have today? Um, who, who is she? So, (laughs) okay. So, well, there was, there was a fight. That's why I said, uh, in my bio on my website that there's a little bit missing. Right. So when I got (laughs) back, it was a real adjustment. Yeah. I'm back. My friends are all married with kids. Where do I fit? Do I get an agent and hope that now that I got the best experience in the world and that I had a hit comedy show in New York, that maybe things will just happen here, but then you still need a job. Okay. So now I'm like 30 mid thirties and like, do I waitress? How can I stay up till four in the morning to be a bartender? Like I'm not that young anymore. (laughs) And then I got married. Then I got, I mean, like my life took all of these different turns. And then I think I just kind of, so I went through a lot of really difficult times. Um, Mm. One of them was also getting uh, divorced before I started Playworks. So I had been through a lot. And then it was sort of that time to reevaluate and go, okay, I know I'm good at so many things, but now I'm in my late thirties. I, what am I doing with my life? You know, I had done so many great things. And so, but it was kind of like, um, Jack of all trades, master of none. Right. And so I did a lot of mind mapping, soul searching conversations with people who love me and get me and, and, One of the jobs that I got when I got home, I didn't have to go back to waitressing or bartending. Uh, A friend of mine was a casting director and she was not well. She was diagnosed with cancer. So I was doing a lot of casting for her because I had worked in casting with her before I moved to New York. And being in the room and talking to people and seeing their initial audition slash performance and being able to tell them in a very short amount of time, just read where they're at and what they need to get them to do it again and really understand the direction to really make it make a difference, I realized was another skill. And then I think I talked about this maybe in a few podcasts, but worth mentioning since we're on the subject, one of the, the casting jobs I got was interviewing the young girls for the first ever Dove self-esteem campaign commercial. So these were not actors. These were real young women from all different walks of life. And, you know, it was like, what do you love about yourself? What do you wish you could change about yourself? And hearing them talk about, they wish that they didn't have such big hips. They wish they had blonde hair, like the things that they were worried. And that's why I love the Dove self-esteem campaign. I was like, that's just too sad for me. I'm an empath. So I walked out of there thinking, I want to work with people like that. I want them to find their sparkle and 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 embrace who they are, the freckles, whatever it is, and just be fabulous because these, these young girls were just, they were bright, they were funny, they had so much going for them. And you could just tell that they were so lost in the one thing that they didn't like about themselves. Mm-hmm. And all of those experiences, me having to come back to, you know, from New York and to Toronto again, 
and me not sort of knowing where I fit and taking such a different path. It really was the principles of improv that got me through that, that, that staying present, the idea of, you know, leaning into change instead of resisting it, you know, and if a mistake happens, something better can come out of it. You know, all of those lessons I realized really had helped me in so much more than a scene in an improv class. And then I just kind of started teaching at schools and I would rent studios based on the weekend and do some adult classes and then friends who owned companies. Can you do a team building? And it just sort of spiraled from there. You know, so much of what I love um, about this path of making things up as we go, this organic flow, right? You head out into your dreams and then we get taken this way and that and your story is beautiful. But yeah, difficult, geez, right? Dramatic. Um, but when you're working with people now in improv and helping them come out of themselves and and find that, that sparker, and we could talk more about what you do, but I really want to hear what's it, how much do you think it informs you, um, the fear, the the down experiences that that you had along the way? How much do you think you bring that you in with you? Um, and I ask that because I think my greatest strength when I'm coaching people in front of a blank page is because I've I've spent so much time there, whether whether it was writing or painting. And all the things that come up along the way. So it makes me feel like I, I can, I'm with them versus talking at them. Yes. You know, there's that. Oh, I'm so glad you just, said that. I'm curious um, what you, yeah, your, your, yeah. your giga, giga all, that is. So all of my experiences, I mean, I am an open book. I think as a comedian, you, you have, if you, if you're not playing a, a character or an alter ego, and I never did, I was always me. Uh, I'm an open book. I am so self-effacing. I am so the first person to talk about my flaws, my fears, uh, the obstacles that I faced. So it plays into everything because guess what? I'm still here. And even in the middle of a pandemic, I, I live alone. I'm happy. I have carved out a life for myself that of course has had challenges, will continue to have challenges, but I have found a way to find the fun and find the humor and find the opportunities in the challenges. And that's, that's what it, ever, all of that is what inspires my, my work. And, and it's never about talking to people like I know better or like, Oh, I went to coaching school. No, I went to the school of hard knocks. And so every, every piece of feedback that I'm giving you as an example of something to try I've done it and it worked for me. That's where I'm always coming from. And what do you see about that, you know, about your path with fear or anxiety and getting over it and through it? How, how has that in particular informed your work with people? Like in terms of who are you meeting and how does that particular um, journey through, right? You say hard knocks, but also through that vulnerable space of being really afraid. Um, how does that show up in your work or how does that move you forward even or held you back? Well, I think fear used to hold me back and stifle mm. me. Um, and thank God between cognitive behavioral therapy and, and the principles of improv, I really learned how to let it 
motivate me instead of stifle me and and let it open me up to, you know, okay, I'm so afraid that that's not going to work out. Okay, but if that doesn't work out, what are all the other things that could work out that will be just as good, if not better, that I'm not looking at right now? So it's thinking outside the box, which is an actor as an improviser are all things that you have to do. You know, when you're playing a role, that's why, uh, you know, you mentioned in my bio, I talk about um, being fascinated with human behavior. We are all walking contradictions. We all do certain things that make perfect sense. And then there are certain traits that totally make no sense based on all the other things you know about somebody. And I feel like when we take the opportunity to figure that stuff out. Like so many people don't go to therapy because they're afraid of what they're going to find out, you know, or they're afraid of what someone's going to, you know, to actually tell somebody the truth. Mm. And my attitude is I need to be happy. I need to be fulfilled. I need to have deep, meaningful relationships. If I can't be honest with myself, um, and I can't continue to evolve, I don't feel that I'm successful. Like that's how I gauge success. Some people look at it from a monetary perspective. To me, it's all about um, happiness and self-awareness and continuously evolving. So that's- How does that particularly, I'm curious, people come to you, what's it look like um, if they're an individual and they're not part of a corporate team, right? And they're coming to you, why are they coming to you and how might that call to happiness be part of it? Okay, so somebody will come to me and they have a big, they're presenting, they're speaking at a huge conference. There's gonna, it's gonna be on YouTube after. There's also gonna be thousands of people in the audience and they're not comfortable speaking in front of people. So the first thing is you got to get to the root of that. Okay. Were you in a play when you were a kid and forgot all your lines? Like I really try and understand where that fear comes from because it's different for everybody. Are you worried that you're going to forget where you are? You know, you're going to memorize, memorize, memorize. And then what if you forget? Or what if this, some people are afraid, oh, what the slide projector breaks that is going to be the thing that's going to prompt me to the next thing that I say. So if I can't see that, I'm screwed. What am I going to do? Or I'm in a pitch meeting. What's going to happen? Like, I'm always worried if my boss or the client throws me a curveball and asks me a question that I don't know the answer for, I don't know what to say. So I like to find out what their particular fear or obstacle is and then really break it down in, in the most simple, basic way. Okay. Do, do you feel like, do you think, I mean, I want to hear even more, but do you think they're hurting in some way when they come to you a lot? Or is it really more? Uh, I mean, some people buffling. are. Some people are like, I, I don't even know how to date. Like I want to, I want to work with you about just <laughs> yeah. being more spontaneous. I've been married for 25 years. I don't know how to just have a normal conversation without planning all my answers, even in job interviews. You know, I've worked at, um, a bunch of places where I'm, I'm helping people with job interview skills. And I don't know if it's, you know, I think everyone's insecure. And especially today with social media, it's just gotten that much worse, right? Everyone is so afraid of not, not being seen as 
good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, successful enough, whatever it is that you have to then, like the first step is just pointing out everybody has these fears. Even when I am speaking in front of thousands of people and it's going to be on YouTube, you don't think I care and want it to go perfectly? The chances for me of it going better than maybe somebody who's not as experienced is I'm ready for any curveball. And the funny thing is, so often when I get hired for a corporate, like I've done like these HR events where they're all speaking about how, you know, employee health and wellness and all that kind of stuff. And they'll have me come up, do some sample exercises, use some audience participations without fail. Every time I do one of those kinds of events, something goes wrong. They tell me I'm after this person, but then they come up to me before that person. They're like, okay, you're on. And I haven't set up my camera and I haven't done this and I haven't had water and I haven't gone to the bathroom to pee, whatever it is. I always get thrown a curveball. And it's kind of like the universe. It's the weirdest thing. I still haven't figured it out, but I always often wonder, is it the universe kind of going, all right, we're just going to make sure that you're keeping it real and that you're practicing what you preach, you know, and that you are letting and I have to go up on stage and go okay so yeah that happened um because like I wasn't expecting them to call my name and I clearly wasn't ready you know so Mm -hmm. I think it's I think everyone comes and I I would I would venture to say it really just comes down to everybody's insecurity their need to succeed their need to look good and everybody needs a little push, a little help. So the second I sort of point out, all of those things could go wrong. So in like, you wanna be prepared, you wanna memorize it, you wanna do whatever you have to do. Then my job is to throw you all those curveballs in a safe space, you and me, and get you learning how to just in the moment, get through it. Because whether it's a job interview, a presentation, a date, whatever it is, a live TV, you know, interview. I mean, I've stumbled a couple of times in, in this interview with you, but I'm just completely in the moment and trying to stay, you know, with you and keep up and whatever comes to me, try and make it circle back to what you initially asked me about. You know, it's not easy, but- Got it. I hear the challenge- and the constant, uh, the continual, uh, you know, ask from the universe for you to do what you preach and and uh, accept the curveballs or move with the curveballs, right? And not uh, not get more rigid or stand against. There's definitely a sense of flowing with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and people are coming to you with anxiety and fears of something that they're not comfortable with. You're you're definitely. I mean, it's obvious, right? Improv, the first thing we think of, first thing I think of is, oh my gosh, you know, you're going to be challenged to be on your edge, right? You're going to be challenged to not know. Um, right. I, I personally like not knowing, um, you know, what my work is, is that way, but it's, it's not so, it's not on stage, you know, it's not in front of all those people. So um, I just, it, it's interesting to me in some ways, I feel like you're in the fear business. I mean, and, and you have your own life to draw on. Um, but it's, it's, I'm wondering how it's, it's uniquely formed by now too. Like here we are and, 
you know, 2021, this is a, you know, the world is kind of falling apart a bit. Um, I think it was maybe already apart, but, you know, we're all going through different stuff. Uh, we're still in the pandemic stuff. And, um, but I'm wondering as a woman, do you see this as a unique time, like the skills that you get from improv? Um, and the, do you think this is a unique, like it connects with that women need to be even more resilient and stand up in their own a little bit? Um, do you think improv is, how do you see your work maybe being mm. very uniquely of maybe of the now for women in particular? I'm, I'm curious about that. That's um, a really interesting question. And it, I got to be honest, I don't have uh, an automatic, oh, I know exactly how I feel about that. Because on one hand, I think in a lot of ways, women are stronger than than men are. And I think men's fears run deeper they just come out in different ways. So I think, I mean, yes, there's this time that we're living in where, you know, uh, you know, we just had uh, International Women's Day and I did so many events and I, you know, facilitated. And then I also went and, and was a, a participant in, in other events. And I think women feel that they have a lot to live up to in order to be treated equal, you know, all of that stuff. But I just don't put a lot on genders. Like it's never been an issue for me in my life. I mean, listen, I was doing stand-up in New York City when it was a predominantly male industry. I don't know if it's because I have three brothers. Uh, I don't know if it's because... Uh, they all kind of knew one of my brothers. So maybe I got a little bit more respect, but I never really in my life in the entertainment industry felt that being treated because I'm a woman. So I have to say it's, it's just, it's not at the forefront of my brain. That being said, I think women um, are more vulnerable and can express it better than men, which is a really good thing. Uh, but I think it can lead to more self-doubt. So, you know, again, I, I work with lots of men and lots of women. I think I just take a different approach to women. Mm -hmm. This self-doubt, um, so many people go through it, even if they're really good in their field. How can you not? Um, Mm -hmm. what's your, what's your sense of the medicine? If, if your work is medicine or how you partner with people's medicine, uh, for self-doubt, um, well, so how do you, how hungry, how, how ready do you think are people to receive it? Do, does it seem like they're like, is it, is it really about self-love? Do you think, is it really about, um, trust and there being a, a universe that, that is more than just themselves. I mean, if we're going to think a little bigger here than, um, you know, cause I think in some yeah. ways at the heart of a lot of this work is a sense of belonging that we have a right to be here and we have a right to speak. And, um, so I'm just curious, uh, just to go a little deeper, what, what you think about that with what you're doing. So with the self doubt, you know, that's why I ask every specific person, the questions up front, where does that come from? You know, what are you really worried about? And then 
I mean, I'm a cheerleader. I mean, I hesitate to call myself a confidence coach because for some reason that just sounds way too airy fairy to me, but I really am just that cheerleader who's like, (laughs) all right, let me ask you a question. Why are you speaking at the collision conference? Why did they choose you? Well, because they, you know, my company is blah, blah, blah. Oh, like the company you started, the company that does X, Y, and Z that no one in the world ever thought to do and you thought to do it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, that's right. And it's like, you kind of just got to remind people that they're really awesome or nobody would want them. I mean, I've worked with people who are some of like this, like, especially in the tech world, these people are geniuses. Like I couldn't dream up. They could never do what I do, but I could never do what they do. And I'm just in awe of what these, these like AI, and I, I don't even know how to explain half of the things, but my job has been to coach them because they're not necessarily the most um, outgoing people uh, and their communication skills may not be as great as mine. So once we have that conversation and I'm like, okay, so there's going to be a press conference because you have teamed up with Google or Google just bought or Microsoft just bought your product or what, whoever these people are, they are doing the most extraordinary things Mm -hmm. and they forget that. And they just let all of the self-doubt, oh gosh, I always shake when I speak. I have a twitch. I do this. I do that. I'm so uncomfortable. And then it's like, okay, but you're a rock star. This is your moment to shine. All those years of your education and all of the jobs you had and all of the failed attempts at coming up with this, you know, finished product have all led you here. Now, can you do that same thing again that you just read to me and like, say it like you're the awesome person that you are. And like right there, you just kind of see them grow. Like sometimes the first step is them just remembering who they actually are beyond all of those traits that they wish that they didn't have, right? We're always so quick to focus on our, um, I don't even know what word I want to use. It's kind or weaknesses. Faults, weaknesses, yeah, all of the above. You know, yeah, I really want to ask you about that. That that sense of because in my work with people, I think it's really easy for people, including myself, but to forget when you said who they are, right? Versus focusing on, you know, the hole in the shoe or something like that. It's like, wait, but who am I? Oh, that's right. You know, I, I did start this, I did make this. Oh, can I can I talk from there? It seems um for me, the recipe for anxiety and a lot of the younger people I work with. Um, is that they're kind of run around by the external plans and, and they're usually other people's, right? And so um, it is, there's still that seeking of some stability. I mean, not that that ever goes away, but that's playing loud. But then there is a sense of, wait a minute, but that's not who I am. I can't just do it this way. I have to, I have to be creative or I die, right? So there is a remembering. I'm curious, mm-hmm. how much do you think when they, after they've worked with you, do you have a sense that they really are in in their sense of, oh, that's right, I'm remembering all of who I am, not just the uh, weak links or whatever you want to call it? Yes. The unfortunate thing is some people, you know, it's it, the, we live in a world where it's all about the recommendation, you know, like LinkedIn recommendations, right? There's a lot of people, and I totally respect this, 
that don't want to write. When I first met Lori, I was terrified. I had a stutter, blah, blah, blah. Now I am so much more confident, right? Like I wish more people were more comfortable sharing that because again, I think it could, I mean, sure, selfishly it'll help me, but I also think it would help them to acknowledge where they were and how far they've now come, right? Mm. But at the very least, anyone who knows them who then sees them in their next press conference or their next presentation sees the difference. And it is all about their confidence. And it's just quieting that voice of self-doubt where it's like, no, something may go wrong. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, you're going to pay me and I'm going to guarantee that it's all going to go perfect. No, you're going to pay me and I'm going to prepare you to not flinch if it doesn't go as planned. And to me, isn't that the best life lesson? I mean, look what we've been through in the last year for all those people who need to know the outcome and need to be able to plan this through them a lot more than someone like me who has spent her entire life going, all right, well, that didn't work out the way I planned. Let's move on. What's next? And be excited about that and know, okay, that's really what I thought I was supposed to be doing. Or that's really the person I thought I was going to be married to the rest of my life or whatever it is. Okay. But it didn't turn out that way. Lori, what, how would you, I mean, maybe this is too obvious, but how would you link that to the word creativity or the life of creativity? What do you mean? The unknown? Um, Yeah. Not being able to plan, uh, not being able to control uh, not being able to have things necessarily turn out the way you thought you wanted. Um, um, how do I compare that to creativity? Or how do you see that as creative? Or how do you see that as part, you know, part of the creative process? Because I think well, sometimes, I think, yeah. I think you can use the creative process to find those workarounds when things don't turn out the way you want them to. You know, there's that thinking outside the box. There are very linear thinkers who are like, no, it's supposed to be this way. And if it doesn't go, no, we just, I have to find a way to make this thing work, right? Those those people are are not always going to find the way to do it. If you are creative, you will be able to think outside the box and see, okay, well, if I veer a little bit this way, or I veer a little bit that way, or if I view it with a different lens, like perception is everything, right? So I think that's what creativity is is all about, is it's like just being able to look at something from a different point of view. And, you know, maybe, maybe creativity isn't as much of the perfect word as... Um, I'm trying to think of the perfect word because I think creativity to some people, they look at it in, 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 in like comparing it to with art. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to think of another word that, yeah, like to be a creative thinker. Yeah. Some people are like, Oh, well I'm not creative. And so they can't see how a different perspective 
can shift everything for them. Totally. I'm totally the, stumped on, on, on the word yeah, that I want to use well, right now. One thing, but. It's all right. We're actually only have another minute or so, but I, the thing about, you know, sometimes it seems like in, in my world, I'm kind of awakening people's creativity and, and they they've come because they know they have it, but um, they're scared of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's that sense of that they can do something that they're not in control of or don't really know how to do it, but that they trust something will happen. Say if they start painting, that something else takes over. Right. And you, in some ways I hear, really are kind of in a perception changing game when you're saying, hey, let's not look at what you don't have. Let's let's stand in what you do have, right? That's a pretty big shift right there. Right. And I think, and then, you know what? I'm thinking creativity. I'm going to, I thought of the word, it's being able to be playful. I mean, I, now I'm now that I sort of had yeah, a minute yeah. to process that, and I was just thinking about what do I do with all of those people who are just really stiff and can't get out of their. I make them play. Yeah, I make them just get out of their head and just not overthink things and not play like for the sake of being silly. Like, I mean, I don't. I don't do exercises, you know, they're more about the principles of improv than making people play characters and do voices or anything like that. But it's just not taking everything so seriously, just chilling out and knowing that that's where new results come from. How is it that that experience with you when they play and we've, I think we've got to end with this one, but how, when they play with you, so play is the operative word, right? And um, how is it that they embody that or remember that so they don't just put it down when they're done working with you? You know, like they 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 integrate it a little bit. They go, oh, maybe if I played a little here, that might help. How do they bring that into the rest of their lives so that people do notice the difference? I think they just see the benefit. I think everyone walks out Uh, smiling and happier and feeling lighter. And so I think it just subconsciously happens. You know, that's the beauty of it. To me, it's not, you know, some people can't sit still for yoga for an hour or meditation, but this is its sort of own version of that. And all of a sudden they realize whether it's cooking in the kitchen during a pandemic or, you know, how different ways to connect with family that are far away is just a more playful way to get through every day and every situation just becomes a part of who they are because they just feel the benefits and they just feel happier and better after. And it doesn't mean that you don't take life seriously, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Okay. So here's the question for you. Yeah. Uh, How would you, and just a sentence or two link Mm -hmm. play with your success, your ability to feel successful in life, which I know you've shared links together with happiness. It's not just money, right? Mm -hmm. How would you put uh, play together with success for you? I think the more that you can play, the more you are able to find success and happiness in everything you do. Like, I really think they are totally, they totally go hand in hand. You know, I, it's so funny. I just posted on LinkedIn today. Uh, this is a good quote to close on. Uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw, what did he say? Uh, something about, it's so funny, I just posted it and now of course I can't think of what the um, the quote is. We don't get, we don't get, we don't stop playing because we get old. We get old because we stop playing. 
Thank you, Lori. Beautiful quote. And, uh, <laughs> Took me a while. <laughs> goodness. No, you got it. Fully right, right there. Uh, how, how can people find out more about what you do with people? Is it through the LP Playworks? How can we direct them to your work? Yeah, that's probably the best. I'm not so big on social media because I like having real conversations face-to-face instead of engaging in posts. I'm not very good at that. Uh, so yeah, my website's probably the best place, which is my initials, LP. Uh, Playworks, one word, lpplayworks.com. Beautiful. We'll put that in the liner notes of this episode. And um, yeah, so it'll be right there if people want to contact you or learn more about you. Uh, I love finishing with play because I know it's all throughout your website. It's integral to what you do, but I like coming into it in the back there at the end and coming into that. So thank you so much. What a joy. that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my ongoing Friday online gathering, The Creative Cure for Anxious Times, where for 75 minutes each Friday, we follow our intuition and play with pen, paper, paint, whatever creative materials you have on hand as a way of coming back into alignment with life and the moment. It's very healing and a whole lot of fun. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching with creatives both on my website, paintbiglivebig.com. 